Welcome all, Steve Parisi here with IBC Global. Hope your day is off to a great start. So today we have a guest on our podcast, Mr. James Barber of the Oregon Cashflow Pro. James, how are you doing today? Good, good. Glad to be here, Steve. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. Um, so uh, I guess as a little bit of intro, you and I actually have known each other for for a while now. Um, what's it, two years or something like that? Maybe a bit longer. Um, yeah, when we had first connected, you were just kind of doing some research on cash value life insurance. You were in the industry already, and it it worked out where it's a call it a, a good fit just in the way we work together. You've got your own business completely independent, um, but how can I put it? You're aligned or we're aligned in the proper way as far as what you do, particularly with cash value life insurance. You are looking out for your clients and teaching them on really how to maximize the cash value assets, the flexibility, and then you've got your business model with the dynamic banking, which I definitely want to talk about, which is all about maximizing their cash flow, correct? Yes, exactly. Beautiful. Yeah, I think we met, uh, I think it was right about two years ago. It was right after, it must have been right after you got started mm -hmm. uh, with your business there, or at least not too long after it. And I was doing a bunch of research, just trying to figure out what is this thing, infinite banking? Because as soon as I heard about it, I was like, there's something to that. And I, I started devouring all the information I could. And I just wasn't quite getting the answers I was looking for until, I don't know, some... Something connected us. I don't know what I filled out, or, <laughs> but you ended up contacting me a few times and uh, your persistence paid off and I, and I contacted you back, attended one of your webinars and uh, it was the transparency that you provided that basically set me on the course that I'm on today and got me hooked in with this, taught me, taught me what I know about Mass Mutual and Guardian, which are the uh, top whole life companies that I, that I like to write. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so from there, it's just been, it's just been great. We've been working together and I think really what works well is that we kind of have the same outlook that we just do whatever's best for the client. Right. And so I know that we've, a lot of, a lot of the clients that I work with work with you guys as well, or at least yeah. have been researching both yeah. of us. And I'm sure you get some of mine too. Uh, a lot of the uh, engineer types, people who love the numbers yep. and that's what, that's what we tend to put up because that's, that provides the transparency, the things that I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I recall that when we had first connected, it was about two years ago, soon, shortly after we started marketing much more heavily, because uh, we've, I've been doing this for a while as far as our business being incorporated, but our marketing, when we made a, a serious effort was uh, early 2018. And then since then, obviously we've picked up traction. We're, we've been getting more attention. Um, but yeah, around the, the transparency, and that's one thing I appreciate about you. And actually, when we first connected, when we were you know, doing with most agents we work with, typically they don't like to go into the details or they want to know it. Yeah, enough about the policy. If I'm designing a policy for high cash value, what I'll always hear is, hey, just tell me enough or help me learn enough where I can explain this to a consumer. Like I don't have time or much of a desire to actually navigate the software, which is fine. I mean, everybody's got their own preference there. Um, but I remember you specifically like, no, I want to know this in and out with each carrier. And I'm like, hey, I'm completely fine with that because that, that's me too. Like I wanted to know it in and out. So you can actually model the policy. You can walk clients through it as you're modeling it. Uh, it goes a long way. I, I certainly appreciate that. 
Well, that makes sense. It's uh, to me, it's like it's more than just knowing how to sell something. Yeah. Because uh, we're not just selling something; we're educating yeah. people on why this works, and I think that's what leads to. I think that's what leads to success in this in this arena yeah. is getting that education out there. We don't we find that we don't have to do much selling. The product sells itself as long as it's designed properly. But what brought me into this to begin with was the company that I was working for, they pushed a lot of IULs and they didn't provide any training. So that might be like people who are traditionally used to that environment. They get handed a script and then they just get to go talk to, to customers or clients. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was not comfortable with that at all. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny that you mentioned that because I started the exact same way where it's when you start with an insurance company, um, (laughs) there's one of two ways. Either you get put in an environment where it's, hey, here's a list of leads, go call them. And they're people that have been called 30 times by 30 different agents and you're calling them and getting yelled at, don't call me anymore. I'm tired of your company. That's option one. And then option two is, okay, welcome to insurance company ABC, fill out this project 100, right? That's often what they refer to it as, which is a list of 100 people where you put in their names, phone, and email. It's typically family and friends because that's who you know as you're trying to get going. And then you go try and sell them or set an appointment with your manager and what your manager tries to sell them, life insurance. And your new agent, like, I don't even know what's going on because you're trying to get going it's extremely uncomfortable trying to get friends and family that way. I, I never liked it, um, but that's that's the industry. 98% of it out there, it's one of those two options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then a few years down the road, you find out that they sold a policy that wasn't designed all that well to oh. your friends and family. Yeah. And now you got to deal with it. Correct. And you didn't know because you're new in the industry trying to learn everything in addition to selling policies to make a living. Yeah, it puts everybody in a tough spot. Um, but you know, obviously knowledge is power. The more you learn you can correct mistakes and then do it the right way moving forward. Um, but this, this will all tie into the same point because the way that you'll write business, that you'll put policies in force for your clients is identical to ours where you're designing it. Hey, if I want to put in $10,000 or a million dollars per year, whatever amount, you're looking at the limits set by the IRS and the insurance company, minimizing the insurance expenses, minimizing the death benefit, max funding a policy so they have optimal cash value from day one throughout the life of that contract. And, you know, in doing that, I always like that because to your point, what you mentioned earlier, you're doing the right thing for the client. It's about them and it sells itself so easily that way too. Versus the opposite, and I'm curious if you got this kind of in your environment in the past and talking to other agents as you've grown your business, is doing it that way is setting it up for absolute minimum commission. It is. It is. It absolutely is. Right. And, you know, I'm on the the fence that, hey, everyone should get paid. You know, we're not saying that if somebody sells a high commission product, they're a bad guy all of a sudden. That's not never my intent. But how I look at it is, well, if commissions were not part of the game and you could design this policy or a consumer can design it in any way and you know they could just have a, a system that would show them, here's how to design a policy, here's how to maximize the limits, and this spits out the greatest overall value. How would they typically set it up? So 
if it's option A, that the majority of people are going to set it up in this manner, well, then I want to make sure I'm showing option A, this maximum cash value policy to everyone, which, oh, by the way, minimizes commissions, right, in the insurance industry. So my question is, because I just rambled a lot there as I kind of set this up, <laughs> as I set this up, is when you first saw this and you saw, okay, if I'm going to do it this way, I've got to do a lot of work in explaining the cash value, make sure it doesn't mech, all that good stuff. And I have a minimum commission policy. Did you ever have the feeling of, hey, I've got to do all this work, maximum work for minimum commission, or was it a different mindset? No, but I'm rethinking that now. No, I'm just okay. kidding. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. No, actually, um, it basically aligns with my whole philosophy. Um, I'm not, I was never one to just chase a dollar. Yeah. or chase a buck. It was always about how can I help people? And that's where my, my whole channel has grown out of was how to help people maximize their cash flow. And I wouldn't exactly be helping them maximize their cash flow if I was taking away from that to put yeah. money into my pocket. Mm -hmm. So by default, what I do is I design it to minimize my commission. And when I meet with folks, I always offer everybody a free 20 minute consult that they can sign up uh, via my Calendly link. And when we go through that, I actually show them exactly how, how we design a policy and what to look for so that they know what the agent is getting paid. Yeah. And when I do that, now they're educated enough that not only will they know what to take if they're getting other illustrations, but they know how to hold me accountable. Right. So if I'm putting this information out there, now I can't even get tempted with a larger commission to say, well, this person, they're, they can afford it. They can pay a little bit more. Right. They won't even know it. So I, I don't even have that on the table when it comes to that. Now, that's not to say that everybody needs to do that. You know, there's, there's Walmarts out there and there's uh, Macy's, yeah. you know, different, there's different business models. Not everybody has, not everybody can offer the same type of price, uh, prices and the same type of commissions. So I don't attribute those varying things, whatever they're trying to get for a commission, I don't attribute that to necessarily greed. No. It might just be their particular business model. Yep. And I'm fine with that. And, and I think the client should have that choice. Yeah. You, they should know what they're paying for. And certainly there's going to be people out there that offer a whole lot more than I'm offering when it comes to a whole suite of what comes with their policy. Sure. You know, they may have a whole, um, retirement plan or financial plan that goes along with it. Whereas, you know, I don't, I don't offer that. Um, I'll talk to people about it as, as in depth as I can, but I'm not going to drop a plan that somebody might, somebody else might charge you $1,500 for, you know, to help lay out uh, the next 30 years of your life and how yeah. you're going to spend your money. Uh, so people will offer different things. They'll need to ask for different amounts of commission. So we've just got to figure out that balance. And for me, uh, the approach is they know when they're coming to me, they're at least going to get the optimal design. And that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to buy from me, but they're going to know at least how that best design is going to look. Right. Yeah. Very nice. No, I, I love that. I mean, I love it because we do the same thing. Just the tree. <laughs> no, I mean, there's a lot to be said about it. And, and I guess it's it just viewing it. If we, I always say, okay, if we flip positions, right? If I'm you, Mr. Consumer, I'd want to know if I put a dollar into a product, what are my different options 
in terms of the company, flexibility, all that good stuff. But when I put a dollar into a life insurance policy and cash accumulation is a reason I'm buying that, I want to better understand that. Meaning how much of that dollar goes towards my insurance premium and how much directly towards other riders that accelerate the cash value growth. This way I can see it up front. I've got that saying, or I didn't come up with it, but there's that saying out there, people tend to believe what they can see, not always what they hear. So around cash value life insurance, there are so many different strategies out there to sell it. And some are, are very, very successful out there, out there with selling life insurance. But some people look at the different strategies and concepts and they say, okay, that's great, but I got to see it. Like I have to see it, put it on a, if it's a spreadsheet, if I can just see different numbers, because that's my personality and I don't try and change it. And hey, I'm like, whatever makes it more convenient, let's show them the options and you can show, okay, here's what's to look, here's what's to look for as far as maximizing cash value. If you don't see X amount of dollars up front, that's an indication that it might not be set up properly, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm gonna circle back because I didn't, don't think I quite answered the commission part yeah. um, completely. One of the things that I've noticed is that uh, the direction my channel took so we kind of, we have the same philosophy, but we don't kind of, our, our channels are totally different in what they tend to provide. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> you've noticed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of, a lot of what I try to do is to provide different ideas, different ways of thinking for people. Um, not just in their mindset on how they move their money, but in ways that they can fund a policy, maybe more so than they would have otherwise thought to do it. Mm -hmm. And I call those uh, creating wealth building blocks. And part of that is what helps, I think, with the commissions. Because when we're dealing with high value policies, when people are putting in large amounts of money, even a small commission, is, it's, it's plenty for my time. You know, I don't, it doesn't take a whole lot of time when the only uh, marketing expense uh, is my YouTube channel. Yeah. And the time that I spend with them, most of it is them learning from the videos that we put out mm -hmm. so that they're ready to go. There's not a whole lot more that I have to do to educate them beyond maybe one or two meetings after that. And so dollar wise, I don't, the, the dollars per hour that you end up making on these smaller ones, and it, it's totally worth it for me in that yeah. case. But it also puts onto them the ability to really maximize their policies more so than they would have otherwise imagined. So if, if they came in and they wanted to fund it at a, a minimal amount, which was probably what they had in mind when they started looking things up. Um, yeah. The commissions there may not quite pay the bills if we had to rely on that and how long mm -hmm. it takes to actually get these policies in force. Um, but once they actually step up and realize the possibilities that this provides and now they go from, seeing life insurance as an expense. Now they see it as an asset and they want to put as much money into it as possible. Now we're talking um, a lot bigger, a lot bigger policies yeah. and a little bit bigger commissions in, in exchange for that. So, Yeah, definitely. No, it all adds up. And, and really what it does as well is if you're going to set policies up with maximum cash value for the consumer, 
One, the business often stays on the books, right? Because a big, big item of buyer's remorse just in life insurance in general, cash value life insurance, that is, if someone purchases a policy and finds out after the fact that it could have been set up differently where they had more money up front, more money long term, more flexibility, but it wasn't. And they say, okay, why? Or just not so much why? How do I get it better, get to that level now? So when designing policies in this manner, the way that, that you do is it is a volume play really, because you're accumulating more policies at, call it a a smaller commission, but you're getting a a larger number because you're setting it up in a way that most people want it. It's how banks and corporations set it up, maximum cash value. So with the- And we get more referrals that way too. (laughs) You do. I mean, the persistency, the business stays on the books. People are happy as you have your review meetings and such. But let me ask this. Um, Once a policy is on the books, do you have a hard time at all in your practice- maintaining the relationship or call it servicing them or for the most part, how do you go through that process? I guess. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I don't have an, I don't have an issue with it yet, but mm-hmm. I don't have a set policy in place. I don't have a set program in place gotcha. and it's currently still just me. So I don't have, I don't have somebody else that I'm paying that can help me follow up and maintain it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do work with people across the country, so everything's electronic. So it does make it a bit easier yeah. to just shoot out an email and gotcha. uh, just touch base every once in a while, make sure everything's good. But I do regularly look at the look at the policies and and touch base with folks. So gotcha. we'll see we'll see where that goes. I'll, I imagine I'll grow into it, and yeah, uh, we'll yeah. end up in a place like you guys where you actually have some folks that are dedicated to helping you follow up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a good problem to run into just because what happens is my big thing is regardless of, and this is me personally, regardless of the policy size, if somebody put in, you know, a hundred grand or 500 grand per year or a hundred bucks per month, I want to make sure that that service, that customer service and, and client relations is intact. And that entails a number of things, reaching out, checking in to see how things are going just with their general financial health. But then also, how's the policy performing? Have they funded it according to plan or did life happen and they didn't pay quite in as much or they paid in more than they anticipated? But just keeping your finger on the pulse of the insurance company, on the insurance product, the financial situation is is a great thing to do because it's not, not that common in the industry. And I guess to share a little bit of, of our experience, we ran into that problem where we got a lot of volume quickly and you always want the new business, right? Because you're helping more people. Yeah, and it grows your, your practice naturally, but you never want to neglect those clients that helped you get where you are today. At least that's that's my mindset. Like I don't want ever, the people that helped me in the beginning, I'm big on loyalty, call it. Um, So what we did is say, okay, we've got to make sure that we can continue the volume play, but then at the same time, (laughs) service everyone. So more agents, right, that you train, duplicate yourself, but then we hired other departments, client relations, case management that are designed specifically to help manage the book of business. Always reach out to everyone. Don't wait for them to reach out to you. Provide updates, enforce illustrations, schedule review calls, review meetings. It's a lot of work, but you've got different teams and departments proactively reaching out. This way, 
that persistency level is very, very high and the business again stays on the books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you guys are on the right track there. Uh, I hope to get there soon. <laughs> I, I think you'll be there before you know it. I know you've been been growing quick and doing a great job. I mean, I, I, you run across some of the policies you're putting forth sometimes. Um, no, great work. And I love the fact that you're always aiming to maximize the client's overall cash value with the policy design. So why don't we um, talk a little bit about dynamic banking? Um, because that's that's a service that you provide really, really at, at no charge, or you can go into more detail on this. But if I come to you and I say, okay, like what's dynamic banking, James, how would you explain that to me if I'm brand new to it? Yeah. So dynamic banking at its core is just a practice of moving your money the most efficiently. Okay. And I came up with the term dynamic banking. Um, it, it's not something that was already out there. But I'm, I came up with it because it's basically velocity banking. Yeah. I just didn't know velocity banking was copyrighted. When I started, didn't want to get in any, any issues by doing videos with it. Yeah. And so I called it dynamic banking. But it, it is slightly different, um, just in the, in the sense that I'm not trying to sell $4,000 software right. so that people can monitor uh, their bills and how they're paying them down. So when I first came across velocity banking, I recognized the value in that, just like the value in infinite banking. And um, really at its core, it's offset accounting. Okay. So we're always trying to utilize as much of our cash flow, as much money that runs through our hands. We want to use that to offset some type of interest on loans that we have out there. And what we find is that lines of credit work the best for that, just for being able to put money in and out quickly. So that even if you're hanging on to a dollar for just a couple of days, you can use that to, to offset some interest charges. And it's through doing that, that this is, it's not a get rich quick scheme. It's a get rich slow scheme. <laughs> but, but what's going to happen is, is all of these savings that you're going to have uh, day to day will start to add up and they'll start to uh, accumulate and they'll compound and, it, it's just dynamic. What, what ends up happening is really dynamic. And so we figured out, and I put out there in videos, how people can combine these things, infinite banking and dynamic banking together. Mm -hmm. Originally, my thought was the people that need to know this stuff, that need to know how to move their money more efficiently, they don't have $4,000 to buy software. And so it's a concept that they shouldn't have to. It, as long as you understand how to move the money, it, it doesn't, the actual details don't matter. As much as I love details, the actual details don't matter. You don't have to do a spreadsheet. You don't have to pay attention to every penny that goes here or there. What you got to do is you just have to make sure that you're moving it. As soon as you get it in your hands, you're moving it where it needs to go. And then you're going to move it from there where it needs to go. And once you get that down, now you're practicing dynamic banking. You're going to see massive savings or, or growing your wealth because you can use it for either thing. So gotcha. um, what I find is when, when clients come in, whether they come in and they're trying to get out of debt or whether they're coming in and talking to me about infinite banking, there's always a place to educate them on moving their money more efficiently and getting them doing dynamic banking. Now, dynamic banking, because it works really great with a line of credit, yeah. our infinite banking policies work just like lines of credit. Right. And so for people that can't qualify for a line of credit, 
it opens up a door for them to be able to practice it even before they get their credit up to par. Gotcha. So, yeah. So there's all kinds of different directions that we can go, but figuring out where it can fit in and helping people maximize that cash flow. That's, that's my specialty. Gotcha. Very nice. So that, that's interesting, uh, especially on the point where you mentioned a lot of times you're, you're educating them, but detailed analysis or a spreadsheet's not always needed. Um, which is interesting because for me, I am a visual, a bit more analytical. That's my, it's my nature where I always go where if I'm looking at a strategy on how to maximize cash flow and I see it working, I hear of it working for several people, that's going to get my interest, but naturally I want to sit down and, and look at it. So go ahead. So that's where my video, I have videos out there that do put the details in it, okay. Gotcha. but I don't want people to get hung up on that. That's right. the thing is, is yeah, use the spreadsheets to understand it and, and make it click mm -hmm. and go, oh, that's how it actually works. But in practice, you don't have to be hung up on, you know, if I move this over here, how much am I going to actually save? Like, do I need to go through those calculations? And the answer is no, you don't. Really, what it boils down to is you get money in your hand over here and what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. A lot of people end up putting it in a bank account, checking or savings account where it's not really doing anything for them. So what I would rather have them do is to immediately put it into something that's offsetting interest. Now, mo most of the time that's because they already have bills that are out there, yeah. but if they don't have bills, then we utilize uh, lines, those lines of credit to actually grow the wealth. So we'll take a, I know you talk with Denzel quite a bit. And so you know what chunking is, yep. but you, instead of taking a chunk and putting it towards a bill, you take a chunk and you put it towards an investment. And that investment can be your cash value life insurance policy. It can be uh, a rental house. Uh, it's the possibilities well, are unlimited. <laughs> I gotcha. Nice. Well, I mean, you're taking action quick. So discipline is really what it sounds like just as a 60,000 foot overview more. So know the strategy, the different areas to put it, but then as soon as you get that dollar, instead of risking the chance of once you put it in the bank account, you might want to leave it, let it sit there just because that's my habit. And I'm used to liking to see money there, take it out, put it to work, whether it's paying down debt, putting in investments, whatever it might be, but just discipline, make sure you ingrain that habit where you quickly take action. Yeah, that's, that's basically it. As soon as you get money in your hands, you get in the habit of moving it to the most efficient way, place possible. So what I found when I was practicing this in that first month, it took me about a month to get it figured out. But I ended up getting in the habit of as soon as I see some money come into my account, what am I doing with it? So I'd wake up each day and I would just check my accounts and go, where's money most efficient at today? Boom, it's moved. Here to there, there to there. Uh, and from and from those places that it's offsetting interest, that's where we pay our bills from. Gotcha. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah, very nice. So on that piece, so when someone comes to you, and I know you've we've talked about this a little bit, where they're coming to you either about that dynamic banking or they're coming to you just with laser-focused questions on the cash value life insurance policy. If someone comes to you and they're interested in dynamic banking to help them get out of debt, for example, which is a popular topic. How do I quickly get out of debt and free up cash flow? How do you ultimately 
maneuver that because you don't you don't charge any fees for the the consultation or the dynamic banking advice and such so ultimately how does that process work if i'm a consumer because i would ask that I'm like okay you're going to help me out here but like what what is the why is it free right why is it free or where do you get paid or where would you get paid like what's the hook yeah so yeah. Uh, when i decided to start doing this um, I realized that I can make plenty of money on the life insurance policies that I write. And I have other time that I'm willing to dedicate that I don't need to make money doing it. Yeah. So that was where I decided to dedicate that time. And so I offer some free time to anybody who wants to talk about it. If they come to me and they tell me that they just want to get out of debt, I don't even talk about life insurance with them. Um, it, it may not be something that comes up for, uh, you know, a couple of meetings, um, if at all, it, it may never come up. So it's not something that I'm always angling towards yeah. trying to get them into a place where I can suddenly monetize it. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately I think it ends up happening. <laughs> I think it just comes across naturally when they watch the videos and they, and they see the potential mm -hmm. once they get to a point where they're like, they can see themselves getting out of debt, then they're going to think what can I do from here? Yeah. And, uh, and we've got, we've got possibilities. So yeah. we've got some things. I mean, I have a firm belief that there's a place for in everybody's portfolio for a whole, whole life insurance policy designed for infinite banking and, or an, an IUL designed in a similar manner. So gotcha. uh, it's just a matter of how much, how yeah. much, how much, how much does it warrant it? Uh, what does it fit in their financial plan and how can we, how can we improve their financial outlook? Gotcha. Yeah, no. And that's, that's really nice that you do that where you're taking the time to help them out, go through the process, um, get them out of debt and such, or give them a, you know, different recommendations on how they can potentially get out of debt. And then once the cash flow is freed up, just with the mentality of, Hey, here are the different options and being transparent, like this is how I get paid. If you decide to move forward with a cash value life insurance policy, that that's a nice, how can I put it, nice approach where people, their comfort level will be very high, not going into a situation thinking, okay, I'm liking the advice and service I'm receiving here, but like, what's the catch? Or do I got to be nervous that the guy's going to try and, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, one of my videos is titled, I'm a terrible salesman <laughs> because I don't sell. I don't sell anything. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really just out there. I truly want to help people. Mm -hmm. And so I believe if you're out there and you're truly trying to help people, um, you're going to end up benefiting in the long run. And that, that's just what happens in practice. I mean, I yeah. guess if it didn't, it would be a shame and it would be, a, it would have been a wrong bet on my part, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm, it's not the reality I'm seeing. Yeah, I, I'm with you there too. I mean, our company, we don't sell per se to say, okay, what option do you do you want to go with? Or let's push for the close here. My belief is show the different options, make it convenient for the individual, make them as comfortable as possible. This way you're not trying to pressure them into a sale. Because if you do that stuff, yeah, maybe it's effective. Some people like that when they're, they're sold something because they say, I would not have done it otherwise. But some look at it and say, man, like I just wasn't comfortable moving forward. And then I found out about a different option afterwards. Like I would have liked to have taken my time, taken my time. So if you do that, you can just run that risk of making someone call it uncomfortable 
and then they post something online, you know, about you. It's like, all right, I, you know, I'm good. Well, there's definitely there's definitely a subset of folks out there that will never take action without that type of pressure. Yeah. Um, I'm okay missing out on those sales. I'm yeah. okay with that. Because uh, it just doesn't fit my personality. Never has. Yeah. I'm with you. With you loud and clear. So one last thing we can touch on, and this might be, this would be fun to touch on a little bit, I think, because it's an area where I'd call it, we d- disagree a bit is on the IUL topic. No, I mean, I'm always fine talking about it because we dig into them quite a bit. So the IULs, so obviously there's a lot of information out there. Um, some of which, some of which is very, very good. The potential, like how I view it, is an IUL at the end of the day will offer much more potential than any whole life insurance product because how the indexing works. But then the drawback, and this is from my historical study of policies that have been enforced for a while, is cap rates are subject to change. We often see them come down after they've been enforced, and expenses go up over time. The cost of insurance now. So I say that, and then you design IULs, and you've shared a little bit with me too. So we're, we're kind of playing this much easier. We're not just fighting each other. Um, I know how you design them, but when you hear that argument, or let's say a consumer comes to you and says, you know, I saw this about IULs that they always blow up, you know, or they just don't work. How do you, how do you approach that? Or how would you call it justify and defend the position of, okay, well, Here's how it can work, and here's what we're doing. If you kind of want to go into that a little bit, yeah, yeah, uh, gladly. So I am a fan of both IULs and Whole Life if they're designed properly. I mean, what you what you tend to see out there is people who sell IULs. They will talk terrible things about Whole Life insurance, and what they say about it is actually true. Yeah. If it's a poorly designed policy, right? But none of none of the bad things they say apply to the policies that we design, right? I tend to see the same thing from the whole life field yep. when they talk and complain about IULs and they highlight all the bad things. Um, for the most part, the things that you just mentioned are all very real risks, yeah. um, but they're really bad in a poorly designed policy. Or I should say they're, uh, those risks are enhanced gotcha. in a very poorly designed policy. When I talk to clients about the two, there's a place in a portfolio. It depends on, it, it really depends on what their goals are and what needs of theirs are already met when it comes to life insurance. So if, if we've got somebody who is heavily invested in the stock market or they're all at risk in the stock market mm-hmm. and they're okay with that type of a risk, well, they may not be okay with the type of return that a whole life policy can provide. Like they're willing to take on a little bit more risk in order to see a lot more potential growth. Mm -hmm. And so which part of their portfolio would that replace? Um, The other thing to consider, (laughs) the other thing to consider beyond just what their personal feelings are is it, it boils down to what are the actual risks involved when we're looking at an IUL? I really like IULs when it comes to kids. When it comes to people who just have a very small amount that they want to contribute to a policy. If I'm going to design a policy that's $100 a month for a whole life policy, you're not going to see a whole lot of cash growth out of it because they're not putting in enough above the cost of insurance to generate much of a return. 
on the flip side, I can design an IUL as long as they're young and the cost of insurance is very low. Even that hundred bucks a month is going to be enough above the cost of insurance that we can see substantial growth, gotcha. assuming the policy performs, assuming the, assuming the index performs. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we're limited to what the insurance company allows for caps or participation rates. So when I look at the field of IULs out there, there's actually only one right now that I'm really happy with writing and, and selling. There's a, there's, there's a couple of them that I actually like. There's two that I own and I'm actually happy with both of them. But when it comes to potential cash growth, mm -hmm. only one of them still meets that because the other one, they reduce the cap rates to a point where I'm not really happy with where it's at. Yeah. It's still at a point where it can outperform a whole life. Um, if they come down much more, maybe not. Right. Might be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so what are the back doors on these things? What are the ways that we can get out of them if we need to? If we design it properly, we can get out of them and not have to worry about those risks as much. So they have, they don't have the reduced paid up option, which is unfortunate. Um, but they do have an overloan protection rider, which you can trigger typically after the age of 75, which is when we start to see the costs of that annual renewable term start to skyrocket. Correct. So one of the things we try to identify is, are they young enough that they're going to have enough years before that cost of insurance starts to go up mm -hmm. where they can get the growth that they need to where come 75, are they going to have money in there that they can pull out and trigger that overloan protection rider if for some reason it stops, stops performing at that time? Mm -hmm. Or really the ideal situation is, it's already been performing and they've grown cash value. And what we do is we reduce the cost of insurance yep. when it gets to that point. So mm -hmm. as soon as they want to stop contributing to the policy, we can cut the insurance down to the bone. And so when the, when it would normally start to go up, we're bringing it down. Gotcha. And so yeah. we're always, we're not just trying to minimize the cost of insurance when we sell the policy, but we're trying to minimize it throughout the life of the policy. Right. So it takes more management when it comes to an IUL. Yeah. Now, what happens if you go and you buy an IUL and the company does the unthinkable? Because like they can really cut those cap rates way, way down. Oh, they yeah. can raise the cost of the insurance a whole lot. We don't tend to see that happen just because there's competition out there. Mm -hmm. uh, we have what's called a 1035 exchange. Yeah. So we can, take, we can take whatever's in those policies and we can move it into something else. Mm -hmm. And so if they're going to do that, they're going to lose a lot of business. Yeah. So there's, there are forces that work against that. It's not just an insurance company where we have to think, oh, the big bad insurance company is just out for a profit. And what are they going to do to reduce my returns? Right. You know, there's a marketplace that they're trying to compete. And I think the IULs came about because they're trying to compete with all the money going to the stock market. Correct. And so we have to identify those folks that would otherwise put the money in the stock market mm -hmm. and would never look at a whole life insurance policy. Um, and so gotcha. that's where I find it. That's where I tend to find a, a home for those folks. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, thanks for that explanation. Uh, um, I mean, I won't get into the analysis we've run on IULs and such. Um, but the way that uh, I guess that you're presenting it, like my big thing is if we're going to present a product or a company that does not have a proven track record. I mean, anybody, I know you've heard me say the words four major mutual companies probably 10 million times since we've met. 
Um, and to be 100% clear, the main reason why is those companies have disclosed proof of actual performance. When I look at the internal rates of return, here's what we've actually done. For everybody else, it's like you go through this big song and dance and try and pull teeth to get any proof. It's like, you know, look at our illustrations or dividend history. I'm like, no, show me some proof that you didn't just under deliver. Um, but that, that's my thing. I mean, and that was from when we designed policies for corporations. They asked for that kind of stuff. So if someone says, okay, well, I'm gravitating towards a smaller carrier or I'm gravitating toward an IUL, like my thing is from a business perspective, I don't want to tell someone, well, they just stink and stay away from them because blah, 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 blah. Like, no, don't do that. <laughs> we'll train our, our agents to do the same. It's more so explaining the risks, the potential drawback, being transparent and building in that awareness to say exactly how you just explained it too was, hey, with an IUL here, I mean, you do have more risk just like you would in the market. So if you're okay with that risk and here's the potential, like the drawback to an IUL in, my, in how I would approach it is, well, the majority from what I've seen, historical policies tend to reverse they go backwards lose value because the expenses and cap rate gains stuff that go on there um, but i haven't seen many that have lived for a long period of time that were designed for maximum cash value from the get-go so that's another thing with a historical proof i've got to see yeah um, that's kind of the key to it too yeah um the other thing mm-hmm. yeah the, yeah the other thing is we really need to be forthright in yeah. what those risks are uh, there's a lawsuit out right now against Pack Life for their IUL, right. and and that's an IUL that I would never have sold. Like they didn't have guarantees with the bonuses that they were offering, and they had these huge costs. They were like seven and a half percent costs each year just to participate in the index and get these potential bonuses. So mm-hmm. even uh, even though they're pitching, you know, you have a zero percent floor. Well, no, you've got seven and a half percent cost. That's yeah. Gonna, engage every single year yeah and and not only that but like the agents are not forthright when they say these are your potential risks and so i've come across a number of people that have had terribly designed iuls and i just feel horrible for them for them i've actually worked with a number of agents who have come to me and said how do you design these policies because i don't know how to do it right uh the people that that are training them are training them to to design it to target premium right well with an iul target premium is the agent commission correct so (laughs) so they get scored based on how high their target premium is Uh, some of these companies they're multi-level marketing firms too so that agent is getting a really small commission anyways where Mm -hmm. if they had just come and worked with me uh they could design the policy ideally and still get the same amount of commission they're treating their client better they're getting the commission they should have gotten to begin with and they're designing a better policy. Gotcha. So one of the things that I've been really forthright with in all my videos, and I get a lot of people that contact me, they say, I'm really surprised because you're like, you're, you're totally open about the risks of these things. You know, there's somebody out there, there's a bunch of people out there, but one in particular that, you know, they only pitch the positives to it. And they oh, yeah. like totally ignore the possibilities. Mm-hmm. So one of the real risks of an IUL is that reduce the reduction of the cap rates. And this person, I was chatting with him and, and I'm like, you know, he's talking about a 12% return being a conservative rate. 
And I'm like, that's just, that's just nuts. Like there's no way, like maybe 6% or 5% would be a conservative rate. Um, you're completely ignoring. I mean, I mean, his response was that, you know, if you look back in the history of the S and P 500, we got 120 year history. I'm like, okay, yeah, but that's at the cap rate it's at right now. You've got to realize when we get into a volatile market, those mm -hmm. insurance companies can reduce that cap rate mm -hmm. and you're totally ignoring that. So the, the clients that you're selling these products on are going to have no clue when that happens, that that was a risk. Yeah. So that's something that I bring up all the time. So I actually um, talked about this on one of my live streams. I do a live stream every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Mm -hmm. And I, I brought up that lawsuit and I went through it and I said, if anybody has worked with agents that meet this, like, feel free to join that lawsuit. Uh, this is not something that we should be hiding behind. You know, mm -hmm. we're not, I'm not here to defend it. If people are, are not being honest when they're selling these products or they're hiding potential risks, uh, they should get sued. That, that should be the situation. I, I hear you there. Yeah. And, and my thing is kind of going back to the awareness. I mean, most agents probably aren't even aware is the thing. It's You've got two types, the ones that do it anyway. Uh, so they're aware that, hey, if I set it up for a high commission, just you know, call it all premium, nothing being directed towards cash value immediately. Yeah. If things go well, right, based off of that very, very high interest rate assumption illustration, based off of market history should be fine, no problem. And we're hoping that that occurs. But the reality of it is as time passes, if things go south, if you run it at a conservative rate or look at the guarantees, like what can potentially happen and would you be comfortable with that? How do you alleviate those risks and ensure, hey, based off the guarantees, it'll last to nine, last till 90 or something like that with an yes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. So, and that's, so th that brings up another point um, with how I, where I fit this into people's portfolio mm -hmm. is the, the dollar amounts that we're talking about for the IUL policies that I write mm -hmm. way smaller than for yeah. the whole life, gotcha. because you're not going to want to put a large percentage of your income at risk, at risk for no guarantees mm -hmm. or for a guarantee of a 0% floor. Yeah. Whereas you're, you're, more open to doing that when you have those growth guarantees. Like yep. there's no reason not to, when you have that guaranteed compounding growth, like you want to put as much as you can into that. And right. so I treat the IUL as more of a retirement type fund. Mm -hmm. This is money you would have that's maybe extra, not, not all of your income. You know, right. infinite banking concept, we try and funnel, I know I personally try and funnel all of my income through my policies, mm -hmm. you know, as new premium. Right. I don't do that with the IULs because I'm not as comfortable putting that much at risk. Yeah. So, so gotcha. we, we, we tend to target at different amounts. So your, your whole life policies may be up here when it comes to premium amount and the IULs are down here because I'm a lot more comfortable by putting this much at risk to try gotcha. and get those gains. Gotcha. Yeah, no, great way of explaining that. You know, I was actually on a call um, earlier this week with a couple actuaries, two of them, and then um, another individual at the insurance carrier that was, head of you know, product development and competition, extremely analytical guys and they're using actuary terms, some of which that I'm like, okay, this is deep stuff. But the conversation, right, the subject of an IUL came up and just around the comfort level and such. And more or less, the conversation was, these are from actuaries, was, you know, if a client's risk tolerance is you know, a little bit higher, if they're willing to take on that risk for a bit more potential, 
that's really where the IUL fits. But I mean, it's just disclosing here's where it can go south, making sure it's set up properly, um, but but disclosure and then a consumer being comfortable with that, um, which, you know, I, I appreciate hearing that from an actuary or actuaries that work for <laughs> different insurance carriers, just being transparent about it because they're not selling the products. They're saying, hey, here's how we, we priced it and here's how it works. Um, but I mean, so I, I get it from all aspects. Um, I still look at it and that's just me with the historical side where I like the whole life product, the sure bet. Um, but I don't think that there's you know anything wrong with presenting it in the way that you do where you're being completely transparent with people saying, hey, like it's a risk. You could go south here, but know it up front. And if you're comfortable, hey, no problem. That's right. That'd be my approach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for me, it's like, uh, I'm always trying to figure out how to solve a client's problem. Yeah. And so if I can offer a solution to that, great. You know, so if I, if, if their solution is something that I maybe haven't tapped into before, oftentimes I'll look at expanding so that I can do that in the future, yeah. you know, cause if I can't meet your needs, I'll definitely send you to somebody who can. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I have no issues doing that, but if there's a way that I can meet those needs so much, even better. Gotcha. Beautiful, beautiful, nice. Well, we are, I'm looking at the clock, just about out of time. Um, but thanks thanks so much, especially for going into the IULs for the, the last part of our conversation there. I think our listeners will certainly appreciate that. Um, we're talking to you on IUL or whole life, but where you're going into not just, oh, it's oh so great, here's both sides of the fence, which is good. And I love that from a transparency standpoint. Um, but yeah, really thanks, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it, James. If anyone wants to get in touch with James, uh, we do have his contact information in the link below. Feel free to reach out via phone or email. And that that's what we got for today. <laughs> Great. I really, I, re I appreciate you having me on. Um, I, I've loved working with you guys for the last couple of years. Hope to continue doing it long ways into the future. Uh, I love seeing not just um, what you've been doing for agents and helping educate all of the agents on how to design proper policies. Uh, but the way you go about it, you know, I think it, I think it puts us in a good light in the industry, you know, more so than uh, a lot of the other agents that I run into that don't get trained properly. So, yeah. Well, so thanks. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. No, really, really appreciate it. I've had fun. Um, no, I've really enjoyed working with you and, and same thing, looking forward to the, the years to come. <laughs> all right. Take care. Cool. We'll you see too. you later. You too. Thanks so much, James. All right. Bye. All right. Bye.